Hey, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown Podcast. I'm Julie. Some of you know me as Dry Mountain Mama, and I'm here with Steve Kay to bring you Sobertown's Rewired Podcast. We're diving into the book Rewired by Erica Spiegelman and learning how it can completely change the way we think and help us create a life so full that there's no space left for alcohol. Before we get started, I want to invite you to visit SobertownPodcast.com where you will find all of the podcast episodes and tons of recovery-related resources. You'll find tools like Todd's blog, which includes his sobriety toolbox, filled with great ideas for handling cravings, reframing difficult thoughts, dealing with drinking situations, and everything else you need to tackle sobriety. We also want to give a shout-out to the I Am Sober app and the community there where many of us met and have found our tribe, creating the foundation for successful recovery. If you haven't yet, do go download the I Am Sober app and come join us there. So hey everyone, I'd like to welcome a special guest to the podcast today. It's the author of uh, Rewired, A Bold New Approach to Addiction and Recovery, Erica Spiegelman. How are you today? Thank you for having me, Steve and Julie. And I'm doing great, I'm doing great. I feel like I just, uh, I came off of a, of a call actually with a intuitive psychic medium just now, like about, I don't know, like half an hour ago. Um, somebody that came across the work stuff. And so I just thought I would connect with her for a 15 minute call. But so it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, I think when I got sober, like I, I, I was like kind of open for me. It was like, how else can I learn? How else can I get information? How else can I um, grow. And I, I feel like, like all of these things that like, I, I discussed even on my own podcast, um, but like all these, all all these kind of, uh, people that, you know, inspire our healers themselves can bring information that maybe I can't, you know, to the forefront is always, it's always excites me. And it's, it's always been helpful in my sobriety too. Oh, that's really neat. I think that whole open mind concept is really important. There's just so many ways that we can learn and and things we can learn from. That's really neat. Yeah. It's, it's cool. True. Yeah. Yeah. So Erica, you wanted to talk about thought habits and how they relate to how they're related to old stories. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the many things we could talk about. I mean, I, I was just, you know, thinking about um, rewiring in general and why I chose the name of the book to be rewired. And, you know, I feel like it is, a literal, you know, a literal rewiring of your pathways when you do put down a substance and do begin to create better habits and better choices and boundaries. And, but with that being said, what I think is not talked about as much is our thought habits and how our thought habits contribute to our overall happiness, our wellness, our quality of life, our like whether we're fulfilled or not fulfilled, whether we're confident or not confident, what does that come down to? And it, it does come down to our thought habits. So I just feel like it's, it was a subject matter that I, you know, I've covered, but I feel like I haven't talked about as much. And so maybe I thought maybe we can talk about it. That's yeah, that awesome. sounds great. That sounds like something I need to work on for sure. So yeah. I'm excited to learn from this. Yeah. Um, do you feel, Julie, do you feel like your, your thoughts have changed since you've changed your life? Are you more mindful or aware of it now? Definitely more mindful and aware. I'm also aware that there's certain thought habits I think that need to be changed. Um, if that makes sense, things that I just fall back into habits, even from childhood, um, that I don't necessarily know how to, 
Um, but I'm aware at least that that's going on. So I think that's a step in the right direction. Totally. Yeah, I agree. And Steve, what about you? I think a lot of, I mean, for thought habits, there's a lot more self-recognition. So, you know, the habit of recognizing that I'm feeling something, the habit of, of, you know, actually dealing with it instead of running from it or that sort of thing. Yeah. The awareness of where I'm at when things change and how to deal with that. Yeah. That's good. That's great. I was just thinking about, so like a while ago, I think um, I I have a colleague, her name is Vienna Ferran. She's, she's a MFT and she, she did this, this um, like course on narratives. And it was very eye-opening to me because I feel like, you know, when we're young, like Julie was saying, like a lot of stuff from childhood, I think all of us like can look at if, so I, so I sometimes do this group at, at treatment centers, but it's like, I write on the board, your narratives around what it is to be a woman, what it is to be a man, what it is to be in a relationship uh, around money, sex, um, communication. Like what are, what are, what are your narratives around those things? If you, if you really look at it, like you, you could be in the midst of changing those narratives as we speak, which I think we are, but like for me, for instance, as an example, so our, our audience can relate, you know, my father who I love and I'm very close with, but he, he kind of grew up using language like derogatory language about women, or he would say things like, Oh, she's PMSing or this and that, or women or this, or women, women this time a month for women. And, you know, just a lot of connotations around what I, what I heard from a man that women are. And so for me, I, I remember like thinking as a teenager, Oh my gosh, when I get my period, I'm going to have this PMS thing my dad talks about, you know, and Oh, that's going to make me a bitch. I'm going to change. And like, you know, so it's like all these, but, and I look back at this now, I, I mean, I wasn't aware of all this at, at the time, but like, I was fearful of all these things, you know, because somebody planted a narrative, someone planted a story in my mind of, of how I am going to be as a woman or what women are like. Right. And then for men, my narrative about men was what I saw my father to be. And that's not the only man in the world, you know, but again, when I got into my own relationships with men, I could see now like how they weren't healthy, my narratives around that or mm-hmm. relationships, my family and my parents divorced when I was seven. So I felt like, oh, all, all in all relationships, it's going to end. And there's always going to be fighting. And because that's what I saw. So again, it's like, those are just examples What everybody could do out there is an, an exercise of writing these things down and kind of seeing where your narratives began or, or how, like maybe how they used to be and maybe how you are changing it or want to change it. So do you think that all these narratives come just from childhood? Like, do we start, I don't, I, I guess I just don't know where all these narratives come from. Is that something that we also develop like in young adulthood or do you think most of them are just from childhood? No, I think it's a combination of, of, of our, our childhood and our experiences in our, in our family of origin or the family that we grew up in. And then also society, like, did you grow up in a Southern state? Did you grow up in a religious family? Did you grow up with anti-gay jargon? Did you grow up with, you know, a lot of different races around you or, or just a bunch of white people, you know, it's like, again, you have to look at your, your society, it, your religion, you know, all these other things that feed into it. Cause I think that, you know, I mean, I have clients that grew up in a very different political climate that I did. And I grew up in San Francisco. I was going to gay pride parades. Like I was, you know, like for me, like being more liberal, progressive, I had people like that around me. So I didn't grow up in a, a very 
kind of conservative way. So for me, religion didn't really impact my upbringing, you know, but some people, it really did, you know, and right. to their detriment, you know, traumatized by certain things. So again, I think all that comes into play. So I can see like, like recognizing the narrative and identifying that. And I think in certain, certain ways, just identifying the narrative that you grew up with, I think would make it almost obvious what kind of thought processes you need to change in order to, you know, end up going in the direction that you need to, or want to, or a healthier place. What about when you have narratives that are just stuck that you realize weren't healthy narratives, but they're really hard to overcome? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I would, I'd ask for you to give an example if you could think of one, but in general, I mean, if you want to share. Steve and I were just talking about it a little bit before. So I grew up with, um, I grew up with an aunt and my mom who were just very negative about the way that I looked. So I was just fed a lot of information starting like 11, 12 years old about how I needed to wear makeup, how my skin was ugly, how, um, and it, it went on for a long time. So it made me really sensitive to stuff like that. And like, I'm aware of it now, but I'm still really stuck in that place and I don't know how to like move past it. So I think that's just, mm-hmm. you know, I'm just curious Good what example. you would say there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think a lot of people are, I, I was raised too with a mother who really focused on looks, like looks, like, I mean, I, I have a daughter now and she's, she's two, but like, I, you know, and I let her, I'm not like putting bows on her and dresses and making her, you know, and I go, oh my God, this is so far from what I grew up with. Like, mm-hmm. I, I remember like my head hurting from a ponytail being so tight because I had to look a certain way and, you know, and that was important to my mom and, I've even shared this to her to this day and, and weight was always an issue and how you look is always very important. And for, so for me, I think I relate to you with that too. It's like, yeah. I, I, I kind of loathe it in a way, but yet I'm also conditioned to making sure I do look a certain way or making sure people do approve of how I look or what they say about me and what the feedback is about me. Right. It's Cause it is conditioned. But again, what I would say to you is, your worth, as you know, has nothing to do with what you look like. And you are a beautiful woman. So it's like, you are a very good looking woman. You're very, you're young, you have beautiful skin, you have, you know, all these things that maybe they, and maybe you, you went through a period of acne, like I did as a teenager, right. went yeah. through things like that, but that doesn't define who you are. So it's like, you have to also, I think, see, you know, where their narrative came from, like your mother's, you know, not, not ever to like, minimize the impact it had on you, but also to kind of have empathy and, and know where did she, where did she get these narratives from, you know, and maybe that helps a little bit, I think in turning your narrative around now is like, she didn't know better. She was raised this way, or like, I see now she was bullied or this happened to her, Mm -hmm. this, you know, I mean, possibly, but also again, you, you have to, again, go back to the foundation of everything, which is self-love. And like, it doesn't even matter what you look like, but it's about you knowing that you're worthy and you're enough just the way you are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that one in general, I mean, no matter what your narrative art is or whatever, I think, especially for people who are in recovery, that's a hard one sometimes to to tackle the self-love thing. I think it takes a lot of work to get there. It's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know? And, and, and like, you know, I don't, and I don't necessarily like, you know, even though I feel like my mom has already done the damage sometimes, like, you know, it's like damage is done. How am I supposed to like really let go of what people really think about me or how I look? But again, it's like, 
I could remind myself in those moments of like, oh, the scale went up a couple of pounds. Like I can remind myself who gives a shit? Like you, you're fine the way you are. Like you're healthy. Like this doesn't define you. You can eat a piece of cake if you want. Like this is, um, your mom's not yelling in my ear, this kind of stuff, you know, but again, she is, you know, so it's, it's a yeah. fine balance of recognizing the judgment you have on yourself in the moment. And then speaking to yourself in, in a positive way an affirming way, you know, getting yourself through that quick. And like, the more you can do that, the easier it'll get. You know, so it's just like recognizing and then turning it around. And that's why I always talk about self-love, like speaking to yourself in kind ways. I mean, that really changed my life when I got sober. I mean, I had to like, I, I joke about it, but like, I was like my own cheerleader and it wasn't easy, but like, that's what I swear has saved my life all these years is like, I can now talk myself through things and be like, Erica, like that's, that's not a big deal or just drop it or let it go. Or like whatever ha happens, happens, like you'll be safe. Like you're, you have your sobriety, you have your health, you have you know, you have yourself, that's it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can't even say you have this guy or this person or this friend, like, no, because all those things could go away, you know? So you just really have to build that self-love. And that's a lot. I think where a lot of those affirmations that are in the book probably come from too, right? Or that's yeah. how those are, that's are used. That's important, yeah. Okay, yeah. So if we relate some of these other, I don't, I guess I'm just thinking all these different narratives. If we're trying to relate them directly to recovery, how does that look? How do those narratives affect drinking and our desire to drink and then recovering from that too? Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, I talk about authenticity a lot because I think, you know, when we aren't like, so if that narrative that I have, it doesn't support my authentic self, it has to change. You know, like yeah. if, 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 this narrative, like even after I got sober, I got into a relationship right away, right away. Um, so I was just getting to know myself, but yet I was in a new relationship with a sober person, but yet wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I didn't do enough work on me in terms of a, a relating to another person. So I, I didn't share my full self and walked on eggshells a little bit and, you know, got stuck. But I remember thinking to myself and why I got out of the relationship was because I couldn't be authentic. I couldn't be really, I didn't feel like I could be myself. And I knew that that would lead me back to drinking. I knew that if I married this person and I literally like moved in with this person, started creating life and I still couldn't feel like I'm myself, what am I going to do? I'm going to go mm -hmm. back to drinking. So I was like, this is why authenticity is, is, beyond the first priority and then also this is why we have to like be our true selves like we have to kind of be honest with others and ourselves like you know I don't feel, and I said to him when I left the relationship I don't feel like I could be myself and it's not you it's me but whatever it is it's not working you know right. so it's like you just have to recognize these things and move forward you know so hmm. that, that's why I think it all relates back is like you know I and I say this to my clients I look at it like life or death like if I can't be myself if I can't speak my truth if I don't feel loved supported that, that there's some you know like something you give to my life not I'm not just me giving to your life if like all these things then you know I don't want to go back to drinking and I know myself if I feel like I am not if I'm not honoring who I am that can happen if I'm betraying who I am that could happen it's interesting when you yeah. feel like you're betraying who you are when when I do that, I feel it now. Yeah. When I do, when I do it intentionally because I'm afraid to actually express what I feel. Yeah. Then 
I can feel the the like the the ripple effect of doing that. I'm oh man, yeah, Jesus, why did I do that to myself? I could have just told the truth. The truth would have been how I felt. Right, 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 right. Exactly. And, exactly. And so going into narratives, uh, the typical man one, you don't show any emotion. Put that right. away. Put that. Put it in your back pocket. Don't ever let anybody see it. It well, that just, narrative, right. But that's your narrative about what it is to be a man and what it is to be strong. Correct. So, I mean, I grew up, you know, never saw my dad cry. And anytime I did, I had, I had to try. I felt like I had to try and put it away. Right. Great typical, example. Yeah. Typical, put it away. You just have to be strong. You just have to shut up. If you feel like crying, nope, I don't feel like crying. Don't even, don't even talk about emotion. Leave that alone. Just, right. Don't, and, don't talk and about it. And your dad it. taught you that. He didn't necessarily. It was by example. His actions. Yeah, through example. Mm-hmm. Right. It was, it was, I mean, I mean, if anything, all we did was get in arguments. There wasn't anything else. It, like never, there, there was no deep conversation. There was none. Uh, I, I always, anytime I showed emotion, it was an explosion of emotion. Yeah. It wasn't um, calm. It wasn't me having a conversation with you telling Eric, you tell, say, hey, Erica, mm-hmm. this is how I feel right now. And right, right now I feel actually pretty relaxed. Yeah. I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, but like the hidden emotions, um, that narrative, I feel like I finally have a place where I can, and this is my authentic self coming out. I, I am an emotional person. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yeah, yeah. i finally feel like i'm i'm okay mm-hmm. to express that and i can i can express that in words i can express that in my my physical actions i can if i'm gonna cry i'm gonna cry right and i've held i've held that back a long time and yeah i think all Coming. of holding all of that back is yeah. now now it's I don't know what it is, but here it is. It's, yeah. it's, it's out there and I'm living it and That's I great. cry a fair amount. That's amazing. I'm so proud and, of you. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. I mean, Julie knows that. You're changing just, the narrative, but you're changing the narrative. You change the narrative or you're on your way, you know, and that's very yes. powerful because I think Steve, the majority of men, I must say, and I hate to like put know. the narrative on it the narrative on it again but but in my experience with my clients most men feel this way most men have gotten this messaging whether it's through the deodorant ads that say be strong you know it's like i mean there's messaging everywhere you look everywhere you look and then again if it's like your your role model your father who you actually look up to i mean you, you know children mirror everything even if he didn't mean to like my father didn't mean to give me these narratives but it was through his words or through you know his narratives and stuff but you know in my book the rewired life which is my other book Mm -hmm. there's a part that i was i just posted about it yesterday i don't know forgive me if you have heard this part but i just want to i wrote something i just want to read it so it's it's a paradox of strength so strength is a paradox it often relies upon vulnerability and flexibility rather than might and muscle as one might think consider the blade of grass that shoots through the concrete its life force shatters dense matter even though it's soft and delicate by bending by bending to the wind, it never breaks. 
We may think it is stronger to hold all of, uh, all of our feelings in, to be tough and soldier through life. We may think it's stronger to be in control and dominate others. We may even think it's an expression of strength to keep our pain to ourselves, numbing ourselves with substances. But strength, as we said, is a paradox. The reality is quite the opposite of all these examples. The strongest position we can take is to surrender to our own humanity, acknowledging that we hurt, we feel pain, we feel longing and despair, loneliness and disappointment allowing our tears to flow, our hearts to melt, and our faces to show our sorrow is the very definition of inner strength because it shows the deep trust we have in life and in others to heal us. To be a real leader, we have to listen, not command. We have to allow others to speak, to shine, to make their own decisions. We demonstrate our strength through the love and respect we show, not by overpowering other people. So that's, you know, something I you know, really feel strongly about since I wrote about it. But like, you know, I started to see that myself because I thought to be strong is what my dad taught me, you know, because is to is to just figure it out your own self. Stop talking about it. Don't worry about it. Move on. Shove it under, you know, and so I had that same kind of narrative and experience as a child. So for but I started to see as I got sober that, wow, like I I feel stronger now than ever that I'm doing, Mm -hmm. you know, so I just wanted to read that because it I I do too. I do. I I feel a There's lot. There's a chapter more. on strength in that book, by the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually have that book coming for my wife, so I oh. will have it. Because my she husband has, is reading it too. Yeah. <laughs> huh? Yeah. So, I feel a lot more confident now, even even though I'm showing the emotion and I'm feeling the emotion because it's real. Yeah. And it's I'm acknowledging it and I'm just feeling it. And I know I can move past it and I know I can move through it and I know I can share it. Mm-hmm. That feels like one of probably the most common reasons that some of us drink, because even as a, a girl, I mean, I didn't have the same, you know, masculine pressure to keep it all in, but you know, yeah. we were still, I guess, even as a kid, I was, you know, all of my feelings and emotions were just invalidated. Oh, get over it. It's not that big of a deal, you know, Oh, suck it up or whatever. Oh, you're making such a big deal out of nothing. And like, you get to the point where you feel like your feelings are, are invalid or they're wrong. And so you just keep them inside. I think maybe on a different level than, than guys do. But then, you know, you you carry that with you. And for me, a lot of the reason that I was drinking was just to keep that under wraps, to try to hide it, to try to make myself, I guess, not feel that way at all. So I didn't have to try to keep it inside. Yeah. So yeah, there's something huge about quitting drinking and then starting to let that stuff out. There's, I don't know, it's hard. That's hard work. It is hard work. It is hard work. And I mean, especially like if you start drinking at a younger age, like, I don't know, I started drinking at, you know, 13, 14, 15. I wasn't alcoholically drinking, but again, it was, it was in my life. The relationship existed. So again, too, it's like, you know, I I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of was not gypped, but like, I never really even got a chance to kind of develop, you know, um, like a moment to actually get my needs met or to, tr- to try and ask for it again and again. I mean, I, you know, it's, I know it's like, just, I don't know. I think it's just kind of, no matter what age you are, I think this, this all gets stifled, you know, eventually like you, sh- you just don't speak up. Drinking is a perfect way to just blow through life and mm-hmm. not have to right. do anything. Yeah. yeah. Numb it all and, and make it easier to keep your mouth shut. I think in a way. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. To finally speak up is a pretty powerful thing. It is. It and is. a very uncomfortable and vulnerable thing. It is. 
And also, like, you know, I say to, to, to people, it's like a lot of us are people pleasers or we feel like, you know, we're going to be judged if we speak up or we're going to be judged if you actually speak like what your need is like for the first time in, in forever and you know what your values are now like I remember having that conversation with my family of like no I don't value staying up and drinking and carrying on and bullshitting with people and you know being social anymore like it's changed because I mm-hmm. you know I want to be in my own space I want solitude I want some peace in my life I want to have a good routine I you know I mean my whole life's changed you know and so again I think sharing that your values change too is is part of it and i think it's easier julie to like what you were just saying it's easier to speak up when you can say this is why i'm speaking up because my values have changed like this is this is what's underneath all of it like i think it's hard for like my clients will be like well, i don't have the right to do that or i don't have the i'm like you don't have the right of course you have the right to do that like mm-hmm. y- your values have changed your identity has changed like all these things have changed acknowledge that and i think it's just hard because we don't see that all of all, there's so many layers underneath mm-hmm. you know wh- why we need to speak up and, and sometimes in our personal relationships if they deserve an explanation it's good to to share these kinds like to someone that you are close with, why you are changing and 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 why you need to change and have boundaries and have these rules or routines or practices for yourself because it supports your greater good so that you don't drink again. You know, it's like sometimes we don't explain it to people. We don't even know how to explain it to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But again, that's why this is good to talk about too. Yeah, I can actually identify with it. I don't have a right to to, you know. I don't know, to explain this boundary that I have or to explain this value that I, like, I I think that I had so many things, especially throughout my drinking years that I regretted that I felt guilty for that I would beat myself up for. Mm -hmm. And so then I felt like, especially with my family or people that I were directly affected by that, I feel like um, it's taken a lot for me to believe that I do have the right to, to make those statements and to start living authentically. Um, and that's something that I think takes a lot of overcoming. I'm not even sure I'm, I've completely overcome it, but, but I can identify with that statement. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. It's common. Mm -hmm. You're basically talking about standing up for yourself. Yeah. What, what standing up for what you believe in. Yeah, which, which when you haven't done it in so long, yeah, or never it done cha- it, <laughs> it changes the. You're changing the expectations of yourself and the expectations kind of of everybody else of you. So when right. you turn around and start standing up and saying, "I'm not going to tolerate this one today," yeah, yeah, and then it just kind of it blows everybody back, and they every yeah. they'll step back and look at you like, "Holy cow, you just said something that would have typically never have come out of your mouth before," right. And then when you walk away from that after and it actually works out, the empowerment that you get from that yeah. starts feeding more of your own authenticity. It starts, you start putting more wood on that fire. That, right. That's what it seems to be happening for me is yeah. the more I find out who I am and what Steve likes and what makes Steve tick and that sort of thing. And and then I kind of put it into practice a little bit. Yeah. And then I see the success out of it because there is a lot in my past where I didn't have the success and there was nothing that drove me. And it, I just did, could not put a win on top of a win on top of a win. And a failure just led to more failures and mm-hmm. then giving up. Whereas now it's the other way around. Amazing. 
Whereas that's actually another narrative too. I think a different way of of forming a narrative where it's just the same repeated result in your life over and over again. You know, it's nobody telling you that certain thing, but yeah. if you try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, and you don't have the right mindset to keep overcoming that, I think then you end up with with that narrative that you're stuck with that you have to start fighting for or fighting against. And mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's actually really interesting. Yeah. It's probably easy to get stuck in something like that and that yeah. kind of cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm happy that's... you're feeling the fire building, building, because it, it's a domino effect, right? You go the if you feel empowered, you keep going with it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it makes me want to try more. It yeah. makes me want to push a little bit more. Okay. Comfort zone. Good. Okay. Different level. What can I do next? Because I feel like this, there's this whole world of I can do now mm-hmm. instead yeah. of the whole totally. world where I can't. Right. Yeah, that's so good. I'm so happy you've entered that. <laughs> I, 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 was, I started looking at ed, just different education and it's been on my mind. Every time I hit evolution, I hit my own brick wall. Yeah, yeah. And, and because I'm not really happy where I am. Yeah. And I'm not happy where I am because it doesn't, suit my values okay then and, do the education you have to listen to your intuition steve too this is something yeah and so this is where i'm getting at so i started looking into the education portion of i have to try something this is where i'm at i have to try something i've got it yeah. so now i got i'm gonna try it i'm i'm getting to that next step to just take a course do something That's and great. i looked at a master's i was and i was looking at it i went to the website and for the first time in I don't know how long, Erica, I looked at it and I read it and it was two and a half years and I did not think I couldn't do it. That's amazing. That's amazing. And were you excited by it? Very much so. I almost <laughs> teared, I, I had to take a breath because I almost teared off a little bit. Um, like I was I stared at the page and I and I, I was like it was I was in awe of myself. I was like, wait, yeah. wait, wait a second here. Then go for it. That's it. I, I was like. That's your voice. That's your inner voice talking to you finally. You know, I'm not finally. It's been there all this whole time. But this is these are these moments too when you talk about intuition. You have to really, again, once you honor it once, it's easier to hear it again and honor it again. And 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 then you build that like, I think that inner knowingness. Like, oh, that's that's my intuition, not my head, not my old shit, not my old insecurities. You know, that's great, amazing. I'm so happy for you. It's just a really good example of you change the narrative and then it empowers you and then you move one step further yeah, towards the life you should be living and one step further away from, from substance abuse and, and yeah. that, that place. That whole so. mess of a darkness world. Yeah. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, this takes time. I mean, I'm 14 years sober and, and even though within my first year or two, I felt like kind of what Steve was saying, I felt I can create any life I want. I can literally choose it's whatever I want to do right now. I mean, like it's, it's, it's an amazing feeling, you know, in the beginning two of my sobriety. I mean, I feel like I had all that along the whole way, but I think now even is just as life goes more and more, I still have to like push myself to uh, be more confident to, you know, like, no, okay. Now you've done all this stuff. Like it's okay to ask for what you need. It's okay. Cause that, that, that's still that little girls inside or still that, that, you know, it's like, it never goes away, but I think it, it just with different chapters. Um, I think you have to keep on like 
you know, keep on with it. Like it's, it, it never just, Oh, boom, I'm, I'm flying and I'm going to keep flying. It's like, Oh no, another wave. Or, you know, you just have to keep, and also tell yourself like, this is just a wave where I don't feel inspired, or this is now I'm very inspired, or this is going to be now the next two years are going to be kind of monotonous, but then you're going to have another leap, you know? So it's just kind of recognizing all that too. Yeah. I think that's really important too, for, for all of us to realize that it's not going to, we're not just going to fix it. It's going to yeah. keep going and it, it gets easier though. I think that gives everybody a lot of totally hope does. to know yeah. the more you do it, you know, you're not going to ever stop, stop dealing with it, but it'll get easier and easier the further, further into it you get. That's really, that gives a lot of hope. I think, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, and I think too, just, um, you know, like, the gratitude, you know, we talk about that a lot too, but just, just being like, for me, I think what's helped me stay grounded and I think stay in my sobriety in many ways, not just not drinking, but I mean, like staying my sobriety, meaning like having non-negotiables, having my boundaries, my routines, like that to me is sobriety, um, is, is like, just, just trying to remember like how far we've come. And that, that's when I say gratitude is just like, I, I kind of always in the back of my mind, remember my, internal bottom of like how grateful how I prayed for days that I have now you know like that that I have a body that works now that I have like you know I mean all these things I I, at one point did not have that I do have you know and even though I'm not saying that the things we have are everything but I mean like internally what I have you know Mm -hmm. that too yeah no absolutely I agree with that yeah I know we talked about a lot, lot of subject matters and all speak the same language so this could go on, on, oh, and on. yeah you're getting near the 45 minutes so i'm gonna thank you erica for joining us today on the podcast uh, yeah. we really appreciate you spending the time with us here today this is just it's really awesome to actually get to talk to you finally after having you know back and forth for probably a month and a half now really yeah. Um, so it's been a real pleasure. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And thank you for letting me into your lives. Honestly, true. Um, and it's like my, it's my honor. It's my honor to know both of you now. And I, I hope we do keep in touch and I'm, I'm happy to come hop on anytime, you know, just let me know. We will awesome. make sure to have you back on for sure. <laughs> I, 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 was, I know we audience would too. So it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Erica. It's been great You're to welcome. talk to you. Julie, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, Steve. And yeah, just, you know, you're on it. That's it. And be proud of yourself every day. You know, when your head hits the pillow, just go over all the things that you're proud of and that'll keep, keep you going. All right. I just want to say thanks to everybody for listening. Um, we'll be back again with another episode of Rewired um, shortly. All right. Have a good night, everyone.